Oprah Winfrey's blockbuster interview with Prince Harry and Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex. Harassment claims against Governor General Julie Payette. At least 16 sources now describe abusive behavior. Final blow to the idea that the British royal family can move out of its past. Hi, I'm Carol Eugene Park. And I'm Ramnik Johal. This is Decomplicated. So most children of immigrants are aware of this known fact. All immigrant mothers love Princess Diana. And by extension now, this admiration has carried forward for Meghan Markle. This became apparent after the Oprah Winfrey special aired on CBS. And there were also some strange parallels between Diana and Meghan. I mean, I, for one, saw so many tweets about whether Prince Harry was worth all the drama that Meghan had to endure while she was part of the royal family. I will admit, I didn't watch the interview mainly because I don't have cable. So, Romnique, could you give me a Sparks Notes version of what I missed? I mean, I, for one, was hanging on to every last word. And like you mentioned, I was wondering that to myself, too. Is one man worth all of that emotional trauma? The answer is always no. So what happened? So Meghan Markle and Prince Harry told Oprah about what the last four years have been like for them, including the repeated attacks from the British media. Meghan talked about how she was criticized for the same things that Kate was praised for and mentioned a few shocking details about the family and about the press. By now, the comments that the royal family made about Archie's skin color have gone viral, highlighting how deeply rooted the racism in the institution really is. Wait, what was the comment? So Meghan Markle shared that while she was pregnant, members of the royal family, she didn't say who, were speculating about what color baby Archie's skin would be. She also mentioned that Archie is the only great-grandchild of the queen who did not get a title, and did not get security. Tell me you hate your great-grandchild without telling me you hate your (laughs) great-grandchild. For real. But also get this. Meghan also shared that there is a provision that says the grandchild of the monarch automatically gets a title. Which means when Charles becomes king, Archie would automatically get a title. But Megan mentioned that they were looking to change that provision as well, without providing a reason as to why. That is so messed up. The queen simply did not pass the vibe check. But one thing we can all agree on is that the memes that came out of this were quite amusing. The best one was definitely the one that said the queen will be at the red table or posting a YouTube video telling her story. I mean, I see it now. Tonight on ABC, a queen's tell-all. I would be glued to my screen. The royal family did issue a statement in response, which to me felt a lot like gaslighting. It mentioned that they were, quote, saddened to learn, end quote, the extent of what the last few years had been like for Meghan and Harry. And that, I quote, the issues raised particularly of race are concerning. While some recollections may vary, they are being taken very seriously and are being addressed by the family privately. And that is what we call a classic PR move. They said a lot without saying much. So in short, 
they did not publicly denounce the hate and racism Meghan experienced while she was Duchess. Exactly. But William did also issue a statement to a reporter adding that the royal family is, quote, very much not racist, end quote. Ha! It was truly heart-wrenching to see the racism and hate that Meghan endured, especially at the cost of her own mental health. But the questions that ensued after the interview sparked a familiar conversation. Why does the monarchy still exist? I've seriously been wondering this because I have never cared for them, and these are questions that I'm thinking about all the time. Do people still care about the royals? Do we still need them? And more importantly, what would happen if Canada cut ties with the monarchy? So, let's dive in. So prior to the Meghan and Harry interview, our former governor general was in the headlines in January of this year. Julie Payette and her secretary both resigned after an independent investigation found that the pair were responsible for a toxic work environment. This is very unrelated, but I can't believe that happened only a few months ago. Yeah, and there's definitely more to the story. The details of the investigation were quite terrible, including some allegations of workplace harassment. However, what this means is that Canada has a vacant seat for our governor general. So, Ramnik, what does the governor general do? Well, Carol, the governor general is appointed by the prime minister to deal with matters in the name of or on behalf of the queen. Why do we still have ties with the British monarchy? Honestly, many people in Canada are wondering the same thing. Now that we need a new governor general, a lot of people are talking about our connection as a country to the queen. While some people sort of care about the royals, like me, others share Carol's indifference and don't get why we still maintain our connection to them in the year 2021. This connection gets a bit more complicated when we look at how wildly popular shows like Netflix's The Crown are, here and around the world. So I talked to Sahil Morar, a fan of the show who said he feels conflicted about how relevant the royal family is here in Canada but he still loves watching the spectacle unfold. Here he is. How much of it is really at this point, like arbitrary? Like what, what is the need for, at, like at its very foundation is what is the need for the royal family and what, what kind of status they present to Britain and the Commonwealth. But then also it, it, it like, it's kind of fun. Like you, you hear, you, you grow up with like fairy tales and, and princes and princesses and all that kind of thing. And then so to see like we've, what we've lived through now two royal weddings, like on a massive scale. And I don't think a lot of people can say that in their lifetime. So it's kind of interesting to see like historically, but what was the last royal wedding? Like the last real royal wedding was Queen Elizabeth because no one really cared about the others. And Margaret married like eight times. So after like the fourth one, it was kind of like, okay, who cares? But it was interesting to watch like how differently they now do things and also spending $300 million. Was it useful? Was it worth it? Big questions. I guess that makes sense. It's a fun fairy tale moment for some people, kind of like a modern princess story for Disney fans. And we love princesses. My next favorite after Diana would be Meghan. Even though some people complained when Meghan and Harry temporarily located to Canada, specifically to Vancouver Island, many people were still hanging on to their every move. Here's Sahil again. 
obviously Megan is, I think, everyone's favorite of the royal family. She's really gone in and said, yes, yes, very much as Diana did. Megan has come in and humanized the royal family. She <laughs> literally made Prince Harry like give up his title and was like, you're going to, this is not going to be your family. I, no, no thanks. I don't want any part of this. And good for her. Like, especially as an African-American woman who's also a divorcee to come into the royal family and shake it up the way she did. And like, we love Kate. She put on three like blue dresses and called it a day. But I think it's, and especially like Megan's commitment towards like her charity work and, and the work that she did before coming into the royal family really helped her. I love Meg. Love Harry. He's kind of the wild child. I love it. And Prin- oh, Princess Margaret. He reminds me a lot of Princess Margaret, the way she's portrayed in the show. And I love her for it. Yeah, that's true. There were a lot of articles that came out around that time about how a person should behave if and when they meet the new royals at like a grocery store or a park. Yeah, that was a very strange time. And I found myself working on my curtsy just in case. So I wanted to talk to a historian about why the royal family remains relevant and popular among some Canadians. I connected with Dr. Carolyn Harris, who teaches at the University of Toronto School of Continuing Studies. She's written three books about royal history. She told me about the Canadian reaction, both positive and negative, to the royal family. Now, if we look at polling data in terms of do Canadians support the monarchy, it differs a great deal depending on the question being asked. If it's a question, do Canadians personally admire the Queen? Often the numbers are quite high as she has been head of state since 1952, since the age of 25, and she's going to be 95 in 2021. So there's this admiration for her very long career in public service and as a stateswoman. But if the questions are along the lines of the cost of royal visits, then sometimes there's a decline in terms of support. Hmm. So even though people like me, who don't think the royals are very notable, polling data suggests otherwise. Okay, I have another question. What are the royal visits Dr. Harris mentioned, and what was their purpose? Different members of the royal family have come for royal visits to Canada over the last few decades. Dr. Harris said that when there are royal tours, these debates about the monarchy tend to pop back up again. She told me about a time when public attitudes towards the monarchy began to shift. Here she is. It's evolved over time that at the beginning of the Queen's reign in 1952, a royal visit was something that brought people together. There was a unifying sense that when there was a big royal tour, sometimes there's misconceptions about the about the monarch's role. And so sometimes ideas about the monarchy can be tied to the popularity of individual members of the royal family rather than the crown as an institution and part of the Canadian state. So often royal visits to Canada uh, would prompt um, these kinds of debates and discussions. And sometimes there will be periods when there, it isn't so much that there's debate and discussion, but that the, the, the monarchy seems to be less visible or less relevant. And then there will be a new generation that attracts a lot of press coverage. So Charles and Diana visiting in 1983, there was enormous interest in how Diana interacted with the crowd. She was crouching down to speak to children and to people in wheelchairs. And then in the 21st century, 
William and Kate in 2011 and 2016 with their children, or Harry and Meghan at the Invictus Games. Well, that's a bit of interesting history. Royal tours are interesting because people get so excited to see the royals. But as Dr. Harris said, many Canadians love the idea of them. But spending money on them is a whole nother issue. So if I'm understanding this correctly, taxpayer money gets spent when royals decide to visit Canada, right? Yes, exactly. But other than these royal visits, Canadians do not pay taxes to the Queen. Here's Dr. Harris again. In terms of Canadians, where there is money paid for the the maintenance of members of the royal family, it's in the context of royal tours, so security for royal tours. And that would be the case if any high-profile foreign head of state was visiting. So that is the case with our head of state as well. Where there tends to be debates um, regarding tax money, uh, sometimes the office of the governor general, that attracts some scrutiny. And especially as various governors general also receive funds for continuing charitable initiatives that began in office. So we pay for security and stuff for any foreign head of state when they're in the country, not just the royals. Good to know. Okay, I have another question. So Dr. Harris said that the queen has been in power for a long time, which we all knew. But what happens when her reign's over? Well, Prince Charles will likely take the throne. Both the Queen and Charles have been important figures in Canadian history. Here's Dr. Harris. Well, the Queen is closely associated with key events in Canadian history, and Prince Charles has been visiting Canada since 1970 and also speaks French and has taken quite a lot of interest in uh, Canadian institutions and charities. There is Prince Charles's charities in Canada that provides uh, funding for Canadian initiatives. So he is quite involved uh, in Canada, but certainly whenever there is a change in reign, there, especially after a very long reign like that of the Queen, there is debate and discussion. Is the heir to the throne up to the job? Prince Charles is now over 70, so this will definitely be a much shorter reign uh, than that of Queen Elizabeth II. And there will be a lot of interest in William and Catherine and the next generation, like Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth II, as three generations of direct heirs. There's Prince Charles, Prince William, and Prince George. So during various times in the Queen's reign, there was debate and discussion about what the monarchy would look like after her reign. And it's interesting that many photographs and stamps have been released showing the Queen with the next three generations. So clearly, the royal families can make a statement that there is um, this, th- this long line of succession going forward. I hate to say it, but poor Charles. One debate topic that often pops up when the head of monarchy changes is whether the new monarch will be up for the job. And if not, will they abdicate the throne to the others in line? I asked Sahil what he thought. Here's his take. Oh, are you kidding? He's been waiting for this for 80 years. Like, literally. Um, I think the, I think there will be a lot of, it'll be a big, obviously a global wide news story. It's a whole like 12 day process. Once she does pass away, it's going to go on for, I would say probably going to be a three month affair because once she passes away, then there, there's the whole coronation of Charles and, and what, like, what if he abdicates the throne and then all of that whole situation. Again, <laughs> poor Charles. So as you've mentioned, 
We all know that the queen was an iconic figure for the monarchy throughout her reign, but will the royals still be relevant when Prince Charles takes the throne? I mean, that is yet to be seen, but Sahil seems to think that Charles does not have as much star power. The British royal family, I think once the queen dies, they aren't going to have such a significant role in people's lives. There isn't someone like Diana who, like a female figure, especially for people to look up to and, and to look forward to seeing on their TVs and being a part of decisions. As we all know, women run countries better than men do at New Zealand. I think that once she dies, a lot of their kind of star power is going to go away. I love that so much. Women leaders do a great job running the government. Yeah, they do. So if people stop caring about the royals and therefore stop paying attention to them like they used to, could Canada get rid of the monarchy? Well, Dr. Harris agreed that even though over time the relevance of the royal family may decline, actually getting rid of the monarchy is quite complicated. Although Barbados is one Commonwealth country which has actually taken the steps to do so. Here she is again. Certainly it's possible that over time, especially with fewer senior working members of the royal family, we may see fewer royal tours, more emphasis on the governor general's role and and less on the royal family. But it will be very difficult in Canada to um, formally change the system of government, whereas in Barbados, it's a little more straightforward being a a vote in their legislature, uh, whereas in Canada, all the provinces would have to agree as, as well, and it would be a very complicated process. Huh. So unless we start this nation state from scratch, we'll forever be tied to the royals in some way. That's how it seems. But it'll definitely be interesting to see how the royal family responds and how the conversation around this continues to unfold. And whether you're now an anti-royalist or still remain indifferent to all of this, let us know on Twitter or Instagram, because I'd love to know. Thanks for listening to today's episode. See you next time. Don't forget to leave us a review, follow us on socials, and share this pod with a friend. And feel free to let us know what you want to see Decomplicated next. This episode was produced by Ramnik Johal and Carol Eugene Park. Mixed by our audio producer, McKenna Hadley-Burke. And music composition by Sean Cameron. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Decomplicated. Decomplicated.